Good morning. We're thinking about Jesus' parables, and the parable is a story with a twist, a twist which re- reveals something to us about God. Parable of the prodigal son. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. The story begins with the younger son requesting assets that will eventually be his. This is a little bit strange because normally this kind of division didn't happen until the father died. In this story, however, he divides the estate, and if Jewish law prevails, the son would, the younger son would receive one-third of the estate, and the elder son would receive two-thirds. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. Each son receives his due, and the younger son is free to go. The younger son looked to sever his relationship to his father and to go his own way. So he converts all his inheritance into cash, goes to a distant land, and then somehow squanders all the money that he had put together to allow him to live on. And apparently the elder son chose not to go his own way, but to keep his holdings at home and to stay involved in the family business. The the young son's life collapses soon after his departure. And if that wasn't bad enough, then comes another blow, famine. It says, after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. With no money and no family, suffering in a distant land, the young son is really in trouble and is now in a place where he is heading into poverty, a poverty from which he cannot extricate himself. He has no options, no choices at this point, and so he actually has one choice. He Desperate for food, he has to hire himself out to someone as a day laborer. So he works for a Gentile and is sent to an animal farm to tend the pigs. He was a Jew, so this is not a very honorable profession. Jews were unclean animals. There is no one in this distant land to offer him comfort or food. He is hit rock bottom. And when he hits rock bottom, at this point, he has an epiphany. It says, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. The son comes to his senses. He understands that his father's hired hands are in better shape than he is. They have plenty of bread because his father treats his servants much differently than the Gentile treats his servants. And this is the thing that the son ends up being able to see, and it clarifies some things for him. He is perishing from hunger, but he's able to see his father 
in a new light, and this moment of clarity is the turning point for him. When you talk to individuals who are dealing with some type of recovery from addiction, what they'll talk about oftentimes is a moment of clarity. When the trajectory of their life becomes clear. Once you have an idea of where I'm going and where my life will head, then you're in a position to really change directions. That's what happened to this individual, Mark Lauritsen, when he shares, we'll talk about coming to a place where he was able to see his life in perspective, that he had been using drugs and alcohol and he saw where that was going to lead him. He saw it clearly. And at that point, he indicated or he knew, I've got to find a different path. But it's seeing where things were going to lead that allowed him to change directions. That's what happened to this younger son. And his change in direction came because he saw the father through different eyes. It seems like he had been looking at his father through the eyes of the older brother, who would, his attitude towards the father kind of stamped itself on the younger son's attitude towards his father as well. And so that's the way he ended up looking. The older son had the ability, as some of us older children do, to be able to do all the right things, to work hard. And the what they say in terms of when you're raised with a number of children, the oldest son oftentimes is the hero. They do all the, the oldest son, oldest daughter. The second one's the rebel. And the, the rebel, they end up looking at what the oldest son can do. They say, I can't do all that stuff. I don't want to do all that stuff to be accepted. So you've got the hero, then the rebel. Then the third one tends to be the clown, which is kind of the one who is a little bit out off to the side, kind of funny. And In fact, in my family, this all kind of works a little bit. Then the, then the fourth one is the lost child. So there's the hero, the rebel, the clown, and the lost child. Um, in this family, this older brother probably would have been the hero. He, he works hard, he slaves in the fields, and the younger son looks at that and says, I'm not going to be able to work harder than him in order to buy dad's approval. So he ends up having a, a difficult relationship. But having a moment of clarity, he decides what he's going to do. He's going to head back. And that's what repentance is. When the Bible talks about repentance, it's not talking about backing away from something objectionable or immoral. Repentance is not backing away from something. It's turning towards something. And again, this guy had a lot of stuff apparently he had to back away from. He had been doing a lot of things that were wrong. But the interesting thing about repentance is it's not about this. It's about turning around. And as he moves towards his father to approach him, he's moving away from the things that he wants to. But again, repentance is not just not doing bad things. It's turning around and, and pursuing something different. And that's what he ends up doing. Um, he is unworthy of being received as a family member. And his request is treat me like a day laborer. It's, it's, I don't want to be a son. I don't want to be a servant in the house. 
I just want to be a day laborer. And so I'll work in the field, and at least I'll get something to eat at night. Um, the son departs, carries out his resolution to return and to confess, and he little does he anticipate the, the, um, the response that awaits him. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. The focus of the parable, we've talked about this before, is not the younger son or the older son. The focus of the parable is the father. And now at this point, he becomes the center of the story. Surely the son must have wondered how his father would respond to his confession. I wonder what he'll do. You know, I, you know, he sees him and he, he probably doesn't think that there is anything, maybe he'll allow him to be a servant. He probably doesn't know. Um, he does not have to wander, wonder long. His father runs to him while he's still a long way off, gives him a giant hug. Actually, it says he falls on his neck and, and kisses him and just breaking all protocol. The father spots him and immediately reacts with compassion and acceptance. So the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate, for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, so they began to celebrate. His father receives the son back as a son not a servant. Um, he doesn't get his third of the estate back, so he kind of squanders that. He doesn't have that inheritance waiting for him, but the servants are told to clothe the son immediately and put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. The father has regained a lost son, a son he expected never to, speak, to see again, has returned. And then meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him, What was going on? Your brother has come, he replied. And your father has killed the fatted calf because he has him back safe and sound. We oldest children, oldest kids, have no problem understanding the older brother's reaction. He had always done his duty. He had been laboring, slaving in the fields, and during his brother's return, it was late in the day, when he comes into to see, to, at the end of the day, there's a party in the house that he has no idea is going on and no idea why it's happening. Um, he hears revelry and music and dancing, and he is not pleased when he learns of the festivities. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fatted calf for him. The old, oldest son demands, where's justice here? Where's fairness? This isn't fair. I've spent all my life serving you. He hasn't. 
He took his inheritance, squandered it, and now he comes back and you throw a party for him. Um, and it reflects something that is something that makes sense for a lot of us. It's kind of surprising in the story that that there is there is acceptance and forgiveness, but the immediate acceptance of someone like this was hard for Jews to accept, and we understand that he had no he had no track record of being able to bear fruit in keeping in with his repentance. It's what John the Baptist um, ends up saying to the crowds who came up to be baptized, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And that day, and we understand this, if you made a commitment, you really weren't accepted until there was fruit in keeping with the commitment. You say you're going to turn your life around. Well, I'm going to, let me see if you turn your life around. And if you turn your life around, then there'll be some acceptance. But just to be able to say, um, that's, that's how their religion worked. Uh, the full acceptance of sinners before they could achieve a holy lifestyle and track record that contradicted their understanding of what piety was and what God accepted. Um, the father's reply, and I think this makes sense to us, but that's why this parable is really not about a prodigal son. It's, it's really about a prodigal father who treats his children, especially the younger son, in a way that is not in line with the way religion believed you should operate. Um, father's reply is gentle, though he says, my son... The father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Um, father reminds the oldest son that all the farm actually belongs to him, uh, and his status as the elder is not it's really not impacted by the brother's return. He's not going to get his share and the inheritance back. It's not going to happen like that. Uh, the animals are his. The thing that's interesting about this parable, it's when it ends at the end, when it ends at the end, it's um, the, the outsider is now the insider. The youngest son, who had always seen himself outside and had been living outside, now he's inside. And the insider, the son who had always been faithful, now he is on the outside. Um, the real point of the parable, again, is not the son, but the father. And here seems to be the point that Jesus is making at the time. God is like the father in the parable. And this would have been really surprising for them. Um, it, 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 it wasn't in line with the way they had been brought to look at God. And if this is so for us, now let's kind of apply this and take this story. And what does it mean for us then? How should we, how should we react to a story like this? It seems like a couple of things would be important. Number one, embrace new covenant faith. Um, when the youngest son 
saw his father and was able to see his character in a way that was clearer than he had growing up. That was the moment of clarity. It really wasn't just about seeing himself or his behavior. The real change came when he could see who the father actually was. That's the moment of clarity. And that seems to be the thing that makes or breaks New Covenant Christianity, is when we and the degree to which we start to see God clearly. The clearer our perspective of what God is actually like, the clearer our path will be, the less we will find ourselves fighting against him. Um, says in 1 John, Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Everyone has, everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself, just as he is pure. It says, we're children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when he appears, and when we see Jesus, we will be like him because we'll see him as he is. Apparently, the way Christianity works, the clearer we see and understand who God is, over time, that is what creates transformation. It's what causes it. In the final analysis, we are going to see him face to face. When we see him face to face, our clear perception of what God is like is going to transform us, and it's not going to be hard. To the degree we see him clearly on this side of eternity, it is what changes our thoughts, attitudes, and actions. In the Bible, those things all need to be changed. Thoughts, attitudes, actions. If you think of actions that you, that you practice, and you really wish you wouldn't, you know, when you think about New Year's, you know, boy, I really wish I wouldn't do X. Or I wish I didn't do Y. But actions come from attitudes. It's the way we feel about things that causes us to do the things we do. So actions come from attitudes. But biblically, what it suggests is that attitudes come from thoughts. With respect to God, what we think about God, our mental conception of him, that creates our attitudes towards him and ourselves and others, both oldest children and youngest children. Thoughts impact attitudes, and attitudes impact action. So if you really want to change actions, you have to get back to attitudes. And if you want to change attitudes, that means we have to get back to thoughts. And that's what First John says. We shall be like him when we see him as he is. So embrace new covenant faith and um, because transformation is the inevitable byproduct of seeing God clearly. 
But it can't just stop with this. There's another thing that kind of goes along with it and not only embrace new covenant faith, maybe a little bit strong, reject old covenant faith. Let me tell you what I'm saying by that. I'm not saying reject the Old Testament. Not at all. The Old Testament are the first 39 books of the Bible, and we can't tear them out of the Bible. They're part of the Bible, and they need to be part of the Bible. I'm not talking about rejecting the Old Testament. I'm talking about rejecting old covenant faith, which, uh, what do I mean by that? Um, it is what the tax collector, well, this is what their reaction was. Why Jesus tells this story is because of what was happening here. Uh, the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him. When you find, when you look in Luke, what ends up happening, Jesus ends up speaking and doing things, and he ends up uh, kind of thinking that John the Baptist did a pretty good job calling people to repentance, and the tax collectors and the sinners, they responded to John, they responded to Jesus. Little by little, what you see is that they're coming after him. And then he calls Matthew and calls him to be a disciple and more. And so that's the kind of people who follow Jesus around. They're gathering around and uh, the Pharisees see this and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Um, they see this as being out of character with what God has decreed in the Old Testament. And they have a point. Here's what it says in Deuteronomy 21, which is part of the Old Covenant law. It says, if a man has a stubborn and rebellious son who does not obey his father and mother and will not listen to them when they discipline him, his father and mother shall take hold of him and bring him to the elders of the gate of his town. Then they shall say to the elders, This son of ours is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey us. He is a profligate and a drunkard. Then all the men of the town shall stone him to death. And that's the code that existed at the time. So the Pharisees and the tax collectors being mired in old covenant faith, they knew what the law dictated. And this story that Jesus tells this father does not operate by old covenant law. That's interesting, isn't it? This father does not operate by old covenant law. And what we take from that, God is like the father in the parable. God does not operate by old covenant law with us. He doesn't bless our obedience and curse our disobedience. He doesn't, what he does to us. In contrast to that, he wants us to understand how radical his acceptance is. Now again, we're, this gets a little bit, because we think, well, a little bit of fear is probably a good thing. Is it? I don't think so. You know what God does to try to capture your heart? He communicates his acceptance. And when that starts to get down deep and you keep on thinking about it over time, 
You know what ends up happening? You end up feeling a little bit more comfortable with him, little by little by little, more of yourself. You start to be able to sit with him. And we've talked about this before. You start to love him. It's not possible to love somebody you're afraid of. Can't love somebody you're afraid of. No fear in love, a perfect, a perfect love casts out fear. Little by little, you stick with it. Keep listening. Keep understanding. Keep focusing on promises. Keep focusing on grace. Keep focusing new covenant, because God operates by new covenant. He doesn't operate by old. And so embrace the new covenant. Reject old covenant faith. Again, don't reject the Old Testament, but reject old covenant faith and embrace new covenant faith. Little by little, here's the picture I get. All of us, we understand the older brother. We, we understand that. What ends up happening, if you allow thoughts of the new covenant to start to get in your mind, what ends up happening those thoughts do something you can't do for yourself. You cannot pull yourself out of fear. You can't do it. You can't do it. You say, well, I'm, I want to be, I want to really know God accepts me. Okay, if you want to know God accepts you, here's the way it happens. You can't get yourself out of being afraid of God. What you do is you embrace God's promises and his new covenant. You do that, you think about his promises, make room for it, keep coming back, and little by little, here's what happened. I need to make a really weird noise. I've done that before, so you're used to it. It kind of it, it kind of sucks you out of an old covenant perspective, like, you know, like being really stuck in mud. You can't get yourself out of the mud, but you embrace new covenant. You know what? The new covenant is powerful, and as you make room for it, little by little, it pulls your mind out of Old Covenant faith, and it starts to be characterized more by New Covenant faith, little by little, not all of a sudden, but ongoing, and then ongoing. Um, it's important to remember, and this is the thing to bring from this, the faith we are to seek is New Covenant faith, because that's what God is like. Let's stand for closing prayer. Father, thank you for um, stories, and stories with a twist. This story has a twist that is compelling for us. Uh, we like the fact that God accepts us. It's a little bit more difficult to understand that God accepts them. But you would have us see you clearly and understand what you are like and what you are not like. You don't operate by old covenant decrees. You don't. That changed with Jesus. You operate by new covenant decrees. That's what the story illustrates. You are like the father in the parable. To the degree we see that and our thoughts align with it, it transforms us. We find our heart changing little by little. There are those who would point that we don't deserve to be as confident as we are. They're our older brothers. And you would have us not focus on them, but focus on you. Thanks for new covenant faith. Continue to transform our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.